Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hello and welcome back to the Prep to Pro NBA Draft Podcast. My name is Ben Pfeiffer and as always, I'm joined by my co-host Max Carlin. Max, how's it going today? I'm doing all right, Ben. How are you? I am doing well. And today we have a very special guest all the way from episode two, I believe, of the Prep to Pro Podcast. We have Jackson Frank making his solo return to the show. Jackson, thanks for joining us. How's it going today? Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, I'm doing well. I'm excited to talk. 2021 rather than my first appearance being on a a much less fun class. The wait is finally over. Football's in full effect. With many teams strutting their stuff, you might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at BetOnline. BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on everything imaginable this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than any place online. Head to Bet Online today and use promo code Armchair to take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Yes, and 2021, we will talk because we have a lot to talk. We recorded for like an hour and a half on two days of games last week. We have almost a week to do today, so we have plenty of prospects, uh, different guys, developments on prospects we already talked about to talk about. So, uh, without rambling anymore, let's just get into it. Yeah, so the first guy we're going to talk about had played zero games before we last recorded. And now we're recording this on Friday, December 4th, and he's played, I think, three games all back-to-back-to-back. Uh, Zaire Williams of Stanford. Um, Jackson, you were a huge Zaire Williams guy. I think you had him second coming into the year. Um, what, what have you seen from Zaire through the first three games? Yeah, so, you know, I think the first game, obviously, was was really impressive for the most part. I think it was really – emblematic of, of him as a prospect, really impressive shot making off the dribble, um, pretty good team defender, even pretty good on the ball with his mobility and length. Um, but as we've seen throughout the three games, really struggles on the ball um, as a creator offensively, doesn't have the burst or the handle to really do anything of note, um, has really been disrupted by any sort of physicality trying to navigate ball screens, both, both sides of the ball, um, both offensively and defensively. Um, and then the shot making has obviously come back down to earth after that incredible game against Alabama, um, where he was hitting deep threes, pull-ups um, off the of pick and rolls and whatnot. So um, he's definitely been underwhelming to, to an extent, especially as an offensive engine, as a guy you want to run a lot of offense through. Um, I have not seen the Indiana game, so I can't speak on that one, but um, you've definitely kind of seen the good and the bad in, in, in him as a prospect and, you know, the limits of how, how much use you have as a scorer if you're always 
taking these tough step backs or pull-ups and stuff like that while lacking um, physicality and strength and, and handle to really um, consistently be a be an on-ball scorer. Yeah, yeah. I, believe, I mean, oh, go. I mean, for, from a shot-making standpoint, obviously he's not he's not that first game where he couldn't miss, and he's not the Indiana game where I think he shot one for ten. Um, it's the the surrounding stuff is concerning. Like his handle has looked really bad. It was it was a disaster in the Alabama game. It seems like it's maybe gotten a little less bad in the subsequent games, but I, I have not watched the Indiana game, and I've I've yeah. not watched the entirety of the of the UNC. I haven't game seen yet. the Indiana game either. So. Yeah, so it, it seems like the handle is is a problem, which which it already was. We knew that the handle was a problem, and I think that his decision making has also been fairly concerning. Just the the way that he was he was seeing the floor. And that Alabama game was not great. I thought he was a bit slow, and I thought he was he was pretty clearly very predetermined in the decisions that he was going to be making. Uh, and there were there were still some some impressive passes in there. And I think you know relative to to his role, I think he could he can for sure still be a, a plus passer. Um, but I think it's about being realistic about what Zaire is. He's not a guy who's running thirty pick and rolls a game. He's a guy who's going to need to be getting his scoring opportunities elsewhere. And he can, because he's, you know, six, eight and can shoot over people and hopefully will have some versatility. And something that I think has been very encouraging is seeing him working as a scorer off the ball that, especially as that Alabama game um, developed, he, he seemed to get a lot more comfortable working off the catch. And he actually had some really nice decisive attacks off the catch where he showed off some impressive footwork and some, some impressive just skill as a, as a, an off-ball scorer with, like, rip-throughs and that sort of thing to, to create shots for himself. So I, I think that it's about being realistic with what he is offensively as a player, that he's not, uh, you know, he's not your primary initiator, but he can be a big-time scorer and has the skills for that. And then, like, as, ja- as Jackson mentioned, the defense, I mean, for a guy who especially, like, on the offensive end, I think it's been pretty apparent early that he kind of – is still getting acclimated to that offensive system very much. So like there are a lot of possessions where he, he just pretty clearly has no idea where to be uh, for a guy who's like that on offense, that he's already been quite good as a team defender. Uh, I think is, is really encouraging. He's always been a very good team defender. He's a very smart player. And then his movement is, is really good. We've been fans of that in the past. It still looks good. There, there's mild concern with, with finishing plays just because he's so weak and that affects him on contest sometimes. Uh, just fading away from contact, being finished through, but like him a lot still as a defensive prospect. And I, th- I think there have been encouraging aspects to what we've seen of him offensively. I think that like he, he's probably been on like a little bit of the low end of expectations, but still looks like a very good prospect. Yeah, he's a great example of just how tough it is to be a really potent and efficient offensive driver without really any rim gravity. He has three rim makes so far, two are in transition, and one is off an offensive rebound. So he's been totally a non-factor when it comes to scoring in the paint, which even when you see the wildly impressive shot making, just the crazy deep threes and some of the just the way he's able to get into his shot with his smooth transition from dribble to shot and his height, it's just not enough to be a primary generator of offense, which has always been my you know concern that that left him out of that top tier. That you know the shooting and the shot making is going to be elite for a guy his size, but he's not going to be that primary generator of of offense, and I think that's clear. 
Um, and yeah, I, I have liked him a lot defensively. I think uh, especially like against UNC, there were so many plays where he would mirror and move so well with Caleb Love. And I think like that's partly an indictment on Caleb Love and his explosiveness, but still impressive to see a six foot eight Zaire Williams pretty much shutting down a, a top 20, you know, top, top 10 to some guard prospects. I mean, when he is, when he's not getting just destroyed by screens because of his lack of strength, he really can move around them on the ball. I mean, defensively, I, I have been really, really impressed. And then I think as Jackson's noted, I know, and we noted like there's something up with his leg. I think like his gait has looked weird and he's not really, he's, it's almost like his, his, his braced leg is just dragging yeah. around at times. And he's, he's, like, wearing a, he's wearing a giant brace on his yeah. leg that he hasn't had in the past. And yeah. as far as we know, he has not had a major, a major knee injury. Um, yeah. I, I think there's been some reporting that he, he allegedly had some sort of biking accident. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, that, there, he is wearing a large brace on his left knee. Yeah, so that, I think that certainly has some impact on his total inability to slash. Though, I mean, he's not bursty and the handle is really, really bad as we've seen. Like, it's so loose and undynamic. But that's certainly a factor to some extent, I'm sure. But yeah, I mean, he looks yeah, really good yeah. still. And it, yeah, it, it, it's understandable that he's struggling. Like, Yeah, it, it's, it's for me right now, which is something I'm noting and it hasn't, you know, at all affected how I evaluate him because I because he isn't some guy who's was consistently blowing by players in high school or had like a 40% free throw rate. You know, we, we know who he is. So even if the verse is affecting him to an extent, um, because it definitely is. Like I, I posted some clip where he wasn't pushing off of his left leg at all against UNC. Um, I don't think it's really something that it should affect your your analysis of him because we we already knew what some of his flaws were. But um, yeah, I've been really impressed with defense too. Like Ben mentioned, when he's not getting when he's not being blindsided by screens, he's been really good. Stanford likes to ice a lot of pick and rolls and force ball handlers to reject them, and he's been really good at that at getting um, high up on the angle and funneling players into the, the lane. And most guards aren't strong enough or explosive enough to shoot over the top of him because he's so long. Um, obviously those bigger wings, you saw her, even someone like Herb Jones finish through him against Alabama, but, um, he's really able to do impressive things with his length and mobility against smaller guys. Um, and I liked how he's adapted to Stanford's defensive scheme, even if it's, as Mac, Max mentioned, it's a work in progress offensively, wonder, figuring out how to play in that kind of motion based and a lot of screening and cutting based offense. Yeah, and Spencer length... Jones make for a very fun wing defense duo, even if Spencer Jones has been a little disappointing. But that, his defense has been very good. Not a lot of rim pressure between the two of them. But um, <laughs> Zaire's length has been really impressive because he's, he's not crazy long. He's, I think, uh, just under seven-foot wingspan for a guy who's 6'8". So, like, decent length. But he's very functional with it. His, he's had some great contests. Um, yeah, his closeout just... speed is great. Like, even when he gets – like lost a bit because he can ball watch at times the recovery speed is just so good like he's so fast for a guy his a guy his size yeah I mean just from like his movement in general like there are bad footwork moments and it doesn't matter because he he is so capable of moving well and it's and it's not like he is an an unskilled mover like he he does move laterally pretty well uh and pretty in a pretty disciplined manner usually yeah he's I think that the I think we've ta- we talked about this in the past. There's there had been some debate over what level of mover he, he is, and we were both on the optimistic side. I think it very much looks like the case that he's a really yeah. serious plus mover. Like like you were saying, Ben, the, with the like Caleb Love, yes, he, he lacks burst, but he is still a, a, a big guard. time guard recruit. Yeah. Like and and is still a, a prospect. Um, so to be able to and and it's not like he was just sticking with Love. Like he yeah. was really he was shutting him, him to down. spots and making him look very bad. Um, 
So I, yeah, I'm very, very happy with how Zaire has looked defensively being that good as a freshman in a weird see a like unbelievably weird season. Stanford started kind of late and he like from the, from the very first moment was quite impactful on and off the ball. Um, and I think that's very yeah, It's good stuff. I would be curious to, to see how much his footwork can improve with added core strength, because I think, you know, obviously core strength is one of his big issues. I think there's been a couple of plays at least where he's been in transition and kind of just been hip checked out of the way by even a subtle amount of contact. Um, and it seems like sometimes when he moves, he kind of gets too far onto his toes because he just doesn't have the strength, to, like control his own six, eight frame moving at, at the speed he can. Um, so I'd be curious to see if, you know, if he's able to add the amount of core strength he needs over the next few years when he goes to the NBA, um, if you could see some of that forward be cleaned up. Because I don't think it's necessarily a technique thing. Um, whereas, you know, someone like Sadiq Bey, as you've mentioned, you guys have talked about in depth, just has poor technique. Whereas I think Zaire Williams could be someone who his technique improves as he adds core strength. But, um, yeah, I've been pretty pretty pleasantly, not surprised, but um, I've been – I still feel really strongly about Zaire. I think maybe – top two was a little too aggressive. I don't want to make any um, notable moves on my board yet before we've even seen some of these guys play five games or even someone like Keon Johnson who has yet to play, who a lot of people love top 10. But um, I would I would anticipate me moving down him a little bit, but I've still been encouraged by what I've seen as a top five or six guy in this class for sure. Yeah, my stance on Zaire right now is that I still feel fine with him as a tier two guy. And we'll get into this a, a bit more later. But that kind of stems from from something that we were – dancing around a little bit that he's not really a primary ball handler, but in this class, I'm not sure that there is one except for Cade. Uh, and so I still feel fine with him there. You know, that, that, that might change. You know, if, if he doesn't end up being a big time shot maker, that that's going to change. But uh, I still feel fine with him in that first tier of, of non Cade players, even if he doesn't end up being, he, he was three for me, and I, I don't know that he'll, he'll end up being that high, but I, I do kind of think that he's still in, in that discussion. Yeah, I think I had him five in, like, that tier, whatever. I mean, I, I feel pretty safe about that. He seems like a pretty solid, like, tier two or three, depending on how you view it, prospect. Um, just w- definitely a ceiling with the shot making to be one of the better non-primaries in this class, which there are a lot of really good complementary talents, which is what Zaire seems to fundamentally be, but he could be very good still. Like, just six, eight shooters like him don't come around often. Yeah, I mean, I think you, you always have to have the caveat that, that, like, there's only so much offense that you can drive if you can't really dribble and are maybe a, a slow, uh, inflexible decision maker. But at the same time, like we saw in that Alabama game, if you're actually a special shot maker. There, that does provide a certain level of floor to you at, as a driver of offense. And that's not something that you can generally count on. It's not something generally worth betting on, but Zaire is a prospect who, if you, if you really do, like, if you examine his history is a guy who actually does project to possibly be one of those very rare special shot makers. Yeah. And that opens up the rest of his game. I mean, especially passing where I think he's a pretty solid passer for his role. Like nothing, nothing incredibly special, but you'll see plays like in the UNC game where, where two defenders will blitz him in a pick and roll and he has the height to, to find the role because he just has that shoot shooting gravity. So yeah, like, like you, like you said, exactly that shot making, that shot making ceiling gives him a floor as an offensive driver that makes the acquisition and development of other skills easier for him than it would be for other smaller or less good players. All right. Should we move on to Jalen Johnson? Another guy who did not play prior to our episodes last week, but has now played a couple of games. Yep. Let's do it. 
All right. So Jalen Johnson, um, I think, has shown similar issues with half-court creation. That everyone got very excited with that Coppin State game that in reality didn't really address any of the questions that I think all of us have about Jalen Johnson as a half-court creator. That, yeah, he was, he was really good in that game, but his, his offense came off cuts. Uh, he had a spot-up three, uh, put-back, transition. He had the one post-up where he had the, the fadeaway jumper. Um, and I think that was the one like real self-created half-court bucket that he had. Uh, and then the Michigan State game was, was very interesting. Uh, and I think he kind of got got slammed for it more than he should have because there was there were some there were some good takeaways there uh, in, in the positive direction. But I, I mean, for Jalen Johnson, I I was always very concerned about him as a half court creator just because he has shooting issues, and then I don't trust him as a guy with with like burst to win in the half court, and then can't be in a Coro type, like eat space and then just power through guys. Cause he doesn't play with that kind of physicality and strength. Um, and I think that that's very much shown up uh, less so in the Coppin state game. Cause he just like, didn't really have to do that, but definitely in the Michigan state game that you had, you had like Joey Hauser giving him some space and he just can't use that as a runway to then power through a guy. But you also had moments where he had really good footwork and use that to explode downhill and did initiate yeah. some contact or did get to one of those, those like tough leaners that he can actually hit uh, that are avenues to, to creation for yeah. him. And then you had moments also where, where his, his burst did fail him, um, but he would, and he would get into spots, but then like from there, you, you would see him just like hit the tiniest little window with, with impeccable touch uh, to a cutter. And it's like, all right, that is indicative indicative of, how he could be used to initiate half-court offense. That this could be a guy who who has the ball um, at the top of the key, and and you've got you've got all sorts of motion going on around him, and he can fit passes into small windows to cutters, and that is an avenue to some half-court initiation yeah. for him, even if he, it's not you know traditional advantage creation. And then of course he does have transition handling and playmaking, and defense. I think has been hit or miss. I think like his movement has looked good, but. Yeah, and he's had some very, very good rotations, but he's also had some catastrophically bad moments of, of awareness. Um, Low effort to just mm-hmm. – yeah. I think his slashing is really fascinating because right now, I mean, there are so many moments uh, where he just kind of walled off and, and falls back to his favorite tough leaners or fadeaway shots that this six foot nine, incredibly fast, fairly athletic prospect shouldn't be falling into. I think a lot of his – problems to stem from a general stiffness and lacks of flexibility he really struggles to dip his shoulder low and kind of drive drive his momentum like that where he drives very upright which I think his burst is I'm probably a little higher on his general burst than you are but I think his just inability to use it technically really is an issue but I do think there are flashes where he shows better footwork or or better, a better ability to get low and look so much better as a slasher. There was the one playing against Michigan State where he took, I think, uh, a negative step with his right foot and got lower than he usually did and got into Joey Hauser's chest and hit a lefty layup through contact. And that was kind of the, my favorite Jalen Johnson play of the season so far. Uh, I think an encapsulation of what he could really be as a driver 
off of the catch if he kind of can correct that stiffness and the footwork issues and, and the contact. The, it, the contact thing is really interesting. He, he is so contact averse despite being someone who has the tools to not be, who, who loves all, all of those leaders. So I'm, I'm very interested to see how much of this slashing problem is correctable because there is just an inherent burst limitation, I think, despite me being more optimistic on it. There is an inherent burst limitation that probably can't be corrected or can't be corrected to the extent it would need to be for that to be a strength. But I do think there are correctable aspects of this. And obviously his elite passing makes that easier because like you said, he can sling passes into minuscule evaporating windows where he just passes that he has no business fitting in. So I'm very interested to see where he goes as a slasher. And especially because I think, like you said, his, his use, his usage in terms of generating half half court offense needs some ingenuity and creativity, but I do think he has avenues to do it. Like, you know, as an off ball mover attacking off the catch in transition, some even, you know, with a really, really potent screener at his side. So I'm very fascinated to see how he develops as a slasher over his career and, you know, how his future team is going to try to utilize him there because I do think he could be pretty potent and, 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 you know, viable there if if he does get there yeah what the some of the things that i've been encouraged by because coming into the year i i was a little lower on him i think i probably had him in like my mid lottery um was outside my second tier which extended to six but um i was a little i i was worried about his decision making offensively i thought he could be a little erratic at times but what i've liked even though the burst has worried me i don't think he's gotten himself into a lot of precarious positions and really forced the issue which i think is important too um, he's, you know, he's gotten the ball stuck a little bit. He had one play against in the first half against Michigan State where he took a tough fadeaway over Hauser when he couldn't get to the rim. But for the most part, I haven't seen him, you know, make all these catastrophic decisions when his burst or his drive gets cuts off because of his burst. Um, so I think that's kind of important too. And then I also liked in that Coppin State game how good he was as an off-ball score on the half court. Um, really good cutter playing the baseline, crashed the offensive glass a lot. Um, obviously, he's a very impressive vertical leaper. Um, so that helps him as a play finisher and, and getting rebounds as well. So I definitely, you know, I feel about the same as, as I did coming into the year about, about Jalen Johnson, but I think the fact that he's shown some, some off ball offense um, and kind of instincts and ability to leverage his good physical tools um, is encouraging because you have a little more margin for error as a, as a poor shooter at six, nine than you would at six, four. Um, and I do think his jumper looks a little better than the last time I saw him playing in AAU last summer, um, a little more arc on it still, kind of stiff but at least a little more arc he used to shoot such a a laser beam with the the rim it seems like he's at least addressed that to an extent so um some improvement there is encouraging um but again yeah i think obviously there are reasons to still be hesitant about him as a top three or four guy or whatever some people are are putting him as now um but still reasons he should be a mid-lottery guy because of his off-ball cutting and his defensive playmaking and and, you know maybe the improvements we've seen as a spot-up shooter to an extent yeah I have also been really impressed with the off-ball game, which was just something we didn't get to see at Phenom as that wasn't his role. He was really tasked with driving their offense as, as a primary, which I think we're all in agreement that that's not who he is. But I, I think our, our friend Ross likes to talk about opportunistic scoring, which is kind of uh, a, a prospect who is able to score without the ball using motor and IQ and feel and athleticism. And I think Jalen Johnson – absolutely falls into those categories with you know with the hope that he can develop more on-ball scoring and I, I I am a lot higher on Jalen Johnson than Jackson I think Max as well I still have him top five and I 
feel okay about that given the way the rest of the classes has shaken out just because I think there are, are real avenues for him to, to add pretty special offensive impact uh, not only in transition but in the half court with some kind of more creative unorthodox scoring and then the passing as well and yeah, the, the defense obviously to be determined, but the the floor with his with his movement skill and rim protection at the size is is encouraging. But, but yeah, I, I think um, it's Duke's roster construction is also just an interesting thing, um, where Matt Hurt and, and Wendell Moore uh, at this point are kind of not not the best, and they have a lot of a, a lot of freshmen they're relying on. So it's probably it's definitely not a roster construction Johnson's ever going to play with again. Um, and I think that's an important thing to, to keep in mind when you're evaluating him for the future. Yeah. The funny thing is that I, I came into the year definitely as the low man on Johnson. I, I think I, I might've had a 10th or, or just outside the top 10. Um, I I'm starting to see the vision with him a little bit more. And a lot of that is that the off ball game has really developed very nicely. Um, that he, he's, he's not really a guy who's, who's done that much. And, he like he had he's had some some moments of really genuinely like very good timing on his cuts just a lot of activity there and he's had some bad ones too like he's had some cut directly into a driving dj stewart moments which are not great um and then he's like he's shown real facility getting himself open off the ball with with change of direction as well um one thing that that does concern me though even even in this like attacking off the catch setting is that the flexibility is a really big problem and it's kind of throughout his entire body. Like I, I think Jax is right that, that it shows up on the jumper, but like even in, in these moments where he has really good footwork attacking off the catch, um, he can't like move horizontally and then um, explode downhill because his hips are so inflexible. So like if, if he jabs in one direction, like, he, he cannot quickly turn his hips enough to then explode downhill. There was a, a pretty illustrative one in that Michigan state game. Um, but yeah, it's just like the, there's not, there's not a combination of horizontal movement and then downhill explosion. That's really possible for him with, with like how stiff his hips are. And that's concerning to me that, that he like, he's really just going to have to be very decisive and it's always going to have to be downhill. Like there, like he's not going to be able to do the Cade like uh, jab and then attack. Like it, it's just not going to work to get a guy off balance. Like the guy's going to have to be off balance. He's just going to have to explode by him because there's, there's, there is not a, a way for him to, to combine the horizontal and downhill explosion. Um, so, yeah, I think there, there are very real physical, limitations for Jalen Johnson although he does still look awesome as a vertical leaper he's so quick so easy uh he and Mobley both are just like such fun vertical leapers because they get up so smoothly and easily um but yeah I'm, I'm getting more intrigued by Jalen Johnson starting to see the vision of him as a guy who can bring scoring off the ball uh amp up that rotational consistency a little bit and I'll feel pretty good about him defensively because the movement's really good and that I do, I am starting to see that, okay, there's, there's some half court initiation here through more like big type initiation because he can really see over the defense and he can fit passes into such tight windows. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm starting to see it more for sure. Yeah. From a very macro perspective, there just aren't six, nine guys who pass like him. I mean, there just aren't, there, there are not very many. And that's just a thing that, 
uh, an, an innovative coach can definitely utilize to drive offense, even if, like we've been talking about, there are real limitations. Um, should we move on to yeah. our next prospect we haven't talked about? That's Greg Brown at Texas, who has been interesting, I think. Um, Jackson, would you like to talk about Greg Brown and, and what you've seen out of him so far? Yeah, um, so I've seen three of his his four games. Um, the, the first two, so I didn't watch a ton of Greg Brown before him or for Texas. Um, some stuff obviously played with Cade in AAU, um, but not a ton of them. And so I, I really struggled to kind of see the vision of you know what the appeal was beyond his absurd vertical leaping. Um, but I saw a little bit more of it, or a lot more of it in the, especially in the UNC game, somewhat in the Indiana game too, in the Maui semifinals, but. Um, yeah, he's generally, though, been pretty underwhelming. Uh, the decision-making as, um, as an offensive player has been pretty poor. Um, is getting a lot of chances to shoot spot-up threes and is just determined to drive um, right into defenders, whether it's because he premeditates which, which direction he's going to go or he doesn't have the burst and flexibility to get by guys um, off the catch or as a standstill creator. Um, it's been pretty tough there. Um, the, for the most part, I think his defensive awareness – has not been great. I've been pretty impressed by the rim protection, especially the last couple games, um, making him important and impressive um, rotations. And he's, like I said, he's such a good vertical leaper that he can contest almost anything as long as he has enough time. He's not going to get bullied out of the way. Um, But then again, at the same time, he is really weak for a guy who was supposed to be a four slash small ball five. There was a play against UNC where he was on the break. And I think it was Garrison Brooks, um, just kind of gave him like a little bit of contact with his hip and um, Greg Brown like flew into the, the baseline and took kind of a wild floater and, and missed it. Um, it was a really kind of poor core strength and, and center of gravity, um, especially concerning for a guy who I don't really think can play the three. I don't think he has the burst and explosion to take guys off the dribble, um, even off the catch. Um, so it, it's been fairly concerning and, and the numbers, you know, you don't want to read too much into it, but um, the numbers do back that up. He's shooting 30% from the field, 7% from three, um, he's got a, he's got one assist and nine turnovers. Um, and so it's been pretty rough, but I do see kind of the outline as maybe a late first guy as someone who the small ball four or a four small ball five who offers secondary room protection can attack off the catch. I think he's quick enough to beat some fours and fives stacking off the catch. And he's a pretty impressive finisher with midair adjustments and contortion. Um, but for the most part, any guy, a guy who you think has any sort of on ball equity, I have not seen that. Um, because of burst and flexibility and decision-making issues. Yeah, I think Brown's – the vision with him is kind of like – he, he I do like that he's been willing to shoot spot-ups. It's not look good. Um, but he has to be that close-out attacking guy. I've only seen the Davidson game, which I, which I actually thought was, was pretty good. I've seen clips of him from the other couple of games that did not look as good. I think there, was, there were moments in that game that encapsulated what – the idealized version of, of Greg Brown one, one that, that, that stands out to me is where he had, you know, attacked off the catch, the burst looked solid and he hung in the air and hit a pretty impressive lay down pass with his offhand through, through a tight window. Um, I think that's kind of the vision got to be the vision with Greg Brown um, as someone who has enough spot up shooting to, to draw closeouts, And then that explosiveness can lead to hopefully some passing development and then the finishing with a really good vertical explosion. Um, yeah, the, the defense to me, even in that game, so, some, good, some good rim protection moments, but just very raw and very poorly positioned. Um, gets into overhelping 
pretty often. Even if I think he's active um, making rotations or trying them, he, he seems pretty erratic to me at this point and uncontrolled. He just kind of rotates to rotates and isn't exactly thinking about what he's seeing in front of them or whether it's best to you know stick to the shooter he's leaving in the corner and, and, and not go and try to steal the ball from, from the post-up guy. Um, it's definitely, I think his, a lot of his weaknesses have been uncovered by not playing with someone like Cade, um, who makes him look a whole lot better uh, in UIBL. Um, his kind of weird movement issues have, have been exposed a little more where he's having to generate more offense by himself. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think the concerns with, with Brown are really real. I had him tentatively in the, like, in like the mid teens. Cause I was just excited about, or I was curious rather about what he looked like in a totally different role from what I'd seen him at AAU and you know, his random low comp high school games. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's gotta be as like a cutter close out attacker and he really does need to shoot to, to have a lot of value. He's just so behind in terms of just feel for the game and knowing how to play. He's, he's very behind there. Um, and I think it's been pretty clear as, as he's tried to adjust to college competition. And I think one, one thing to note, and this is partly his own fault, is he hasn't like played a lot of sustained stretches because he's averaging four fouls a game. Um, he's coming out of the game a ton. And so part of that, as you mentioned, Ben, is some of his defensive technique. He's fouling a lot in that sense. But um, I would like to hopefully see him allowed, not a long relief, but just allowed to be able to stay in the game and play because I think he is someone, especially with, you know, his, his raw, his raw, what, you know, like he's, he's still, he just isn't someone who can come in. He's not so polished as a player that can come in and really figure out what he's supposed to do on either end. And he just hasn't had those opportunities yet because of his own, his own doing to doing to an extent. But I, I hope he gets some of those chances soon to you know play more than eight straight minutes in a game. Um, so I, I hope we can, we can see more of that because I do see the vision. I haven't seen the Davidson game. That's the one I haven't seen. Um, but if you say it's, it's better offensive, I'll definitely have to take a look. But UNC, I think, provided some. But I don't think he was super efficient against UNC, but you saw kind of what he can do on both ends and, and why there may be some significant appeal as a, a mid-first or a late-first guy. Yeah, I think for anybody who can, that Davidson game is, is, is a worthwhile look at, at what I think his, his NBA role could look like. Obviously, uh, you hope he can land with um, a guard likely will never play with somebody as 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 excellent as Cade as a distributor but just someone who can enable him as a lob finisher and a cutter more than anybody at Texas can but yeah I, I would say that's a good game to watch um but e- even in that game where I think a lot of the positives were more present than what you seem to be saying about the other games there were still a lot of real concerns that um you know a lot of concerns that I think are very real and hard to improve with Greg Brown yeah I I have not watched closely enough to to really add much to this. Um, I'm pretty concerned about what he is. He definitely seems to be in that uh, group of, of erratic guys that, you know, the Paul Reeds and Tyler Bays that we saw last year. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure what, what Greg Brown is. And I don't think that this is, a really great situation to be to be seeing what an optimized version of him is that's i think probably closer to what he was with uh texas titans the wait is finally over football's in full effect with many teams strutting their stuff you might not be at a game this year but you can still be in on the action at bet online bet online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on everything imaginable this season from game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any place online. 
Head to BetOnline today and use promo code ARMCHAIR to take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Support for the Prep to Pro NBA Draft Podcast comes from Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. The holidays are here. Have you made your wish list yet? Our sponsor today has the number one wished-for gift of the year. Manscaped, the best in men's below and above-the-belt grooming. Manscaped is here to ensure that you're taking care of your manhood and your nose hairs with their new performance package. The Manscaped Performance Package is the ultimate men's hygiene bundle and makes for the perfect gift. Imagine opening an attractive box that says, your balls will thank you, with the most sought-after gadgets and scents a person could find. Included in this new package is the Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer, which is waterproof and uses a 9,000 RPM motor-powered 360-degree rotary dual-blade system. Look guys, 79% of partners polled admitted that long nose hair is a major turnoff. Why not use the best tools for the job here? This bundle includes the Lawnmower 3.0 trimmer, the best trimmer on the market for your balls, butt, and body. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code armchair at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code armchair. What are you waiting for? Go whack your weeds and make Santa proud. All right, so I think we will move on to Moses Moody at Arkansas, who has been pretty good, I think, overall. Um, the the off-ball offense has really stood out to me. Um, I think that was something that he showed at Montverde that was obvious playing with the team that he played with. And just the general off-ball movement, the cutting, uh, the relocation, just understanding where he needs to be on the floor and uh, how to best take advantage of his you know awesome shooting um, and, you know, and just general spacing. Um, and even I think as a closeout attacker, um, he's been able to show off his strength and a little bit of burst and, and foul drawing craft that he does have um, in, in getting into pull-ups and, and getting into the lane. I, I am a little disappointed that he hasn't garnered more of an, off, an on-ball role as that was something he showcased an ability to do pretty well um, in AAU with Brad Beal playing next to Caleb Love uh, where he was a legitimate on-ball initiator, not not bursty or really deceptive with his handle, but a six foot seven, six foot six lethal shooter who was really adept at using his strength and initiating contact and using his frame to shoot over players and draw fouls and and, and get into the defense and generate efficient offense in that way. That's not really something he's been able to do at Arkansas. It's just not a role he's been allowed to take on. And I think in the few times when he has been allowed to run. Uh, 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 run a pick and roll or be um, someone who is allowed to create um, in the half court a little more than he has been. Uh, it just hasn't looked that great. Um, he, the, the burst hasn't looked good. He, you know, he hasn't been making strong decisions uh, on the ball. So, I mean, I think he's in, in all, in all reality, he's probably just not ready to, to play on the ball and, and function as an on-ball creator. I, I do still believe in, in some of that upside on the back end because he has been really, really awesome playing off the ball as, as I kind of expected. And then I think the defense in the first couple of games has been really strong as well. Um, his team defensive positioning on digs and stunts, making backsides, backside rotations hasn't really been overwhelmed with mistakes or late rotations or overhelps like a lot of other freshmen have. He's just really, really advanced mentally, I think, as uh, just someone who understands angles and positions um a lot better than than most freshmen that um you know just play team defense and are generally pretty bad or underwhelming as as a team defender so i think um my perception of moses moody hasn't changed that much definitely 
disappointed that we aren't seeing more of an on-ball role, um, especially with an Arkansas team that isn't that potent, doesn't really have a potent on-ball creator outside of Moody. So uh, I, I, I definitely am um, slightly disappointed, I think, um, by that lack of creation. But he's kind of been what I expected in terms of uh, potent and uh, really, really good off-ball player on both ends of the floor. I don't really think Moody is an on-ball player at all. Like, I, I wasn't expecting that from him. He's, he's a good off-ball wing. And, yeah, he, yes, he was more of an, of an on-ball guard with, with uh, Brad Beal. Um, but, he, I mean, he, he wasn't that with, with Montferrard. And, and, granted, like, that's a very unique team. But I, I don't think that's what he is. Uh, but what he's shown is is a very well-rounded wing package that he's uh, you know hits hit some deep shots with with some versatility there. He's had some some like tough shots off off one dribble pull-ups. Uh, he's been good as a cutter. He yeah he's gotten to the line. It's from what I've seen, it's been a lot of ticky tacky stuff and not really skilled foul drawing. Uh, so that's something to monitor. Uh, yeah, defense has, has been good. I, his, his movement is really impressive. Like he's he has has like really mirror, mirrored guys on the ball. Had no trouble moving laterally, changing directions. Uh, that's been very impressive. Um, yeah, he's good. He's just like a very good off-ball wing. Um, I think that's the sort of thing that's that's highly desirable and highly valuable. Uh, I, I think I think it's a, probably a little unreasonable to expect him to be some big time on ball creator, but it's just like, you know, he'll, he'll hits, he'll hit some tough shots. He has an ability to, to play make and handle from that off ball role. Uh, but yeah, I mean, he's, you're not, you're not drafting him to be a lead guard. Um, by any and I wasn't insinuating that he is, you know, is or is supposed to be some big time on ball creator or on ball offensive generator just that i hoped we'd be able to see a little more of that um in his role because i do think that's some utility he can't have in spurts but obviously his primarily function and his primary function and his primary value come as a really great off ball wing who just doesn't take up usage it adds a ton of value um and scales really well next to bigger next to other creators and, and better offensive players yeah, I don't have a, I don't have a ton to add. I think Max and, and Ben have covered covered it from everything. Similar thoughts I have about about him from what I've seen. Um, I would just, I really like his decisiveness decisiveness off the ball. Um, the way he's so quick making decisions, um, whether it's wonderful pull up shooting right off the screen, a cut to the basket. I think that really bodes well for his projection in the NBA offensively. Um, you need guys who are decisive when they don't get many touches with the ball in their hands. And I think Moody is both decisive and smart with those decisions, which I really like. So. Um, been impressed by that. And then, I, yeah, I, I would also add with Max, you know, the, the foul drone. I think he's been fouled at least two or three three-point attempts. So um, definitely some inflation there. And even the steals, I think a few of them have just been like loose balls falling to his lap when Arkansas Arkansas traps. So if you're looking at his, his B-ball ref page and you're looking, oh, he's got a bunch of foul free throws and six steals three games, um, just just note that that's not necessarily indicative of what he's been doing. Um, but, yeah, I've been I've been – I've been encouraged by Moody. I think the field goal percentage will shoot up too. He's missed a lot of chippies around the rim that he can make um, like easy stuff, not just like through contact and he can't finish. He's just been missing stuff like in transition sometimes too, but yeah, Moody's look good. And I think you're really seeing a pretty good proxy for his uh, NBA projections and off ball scorer and a, a really nice and solid off um, defender who positions himself well and has the length and mobility to, to really uh, make some stuff happen defensively. Yeah. A couple of things that I will add are that, um, he all, like he's not bursty, but he has always been very aggressive as a driver and and like Jackson said, decisive. 
Um, and so I think that that, at the very least, in in a in like a closeout attacking role where where he's already against a, a shifted defense, that he's not going to waste that advantage that's been created by someone else, and that does give him some more utility than maybe he would have uh, just on account of his burst if he were a little bit less decisive. Um, on the the fouls on, on three pointers, he 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 actually I think has shown a little bit of like BS facility there, but you know that's that's not like a, a huge difference maker. Um, but yeah, he's just, he's a very good off ball wing. I think that's kind of always been the appeal with him. And that's a player that every single team needs. That's a ceiling raiser. Um, you know, it's just, a, it's just very, very valuable. Uh, I, feel, I think that's kind of ob- always obviously been, been the case with Moody. Uh, and, and I think he's totally lived up to expectations in that regard. Yeah. Um, should we move on to Jalen Suggs? Yes, let's talk about Jalen Suggs. Okay. Um, so off the top, I think that there is very much an interest in this class being amazing. And I think part of that is that people want to be done with 2020 because we were doing it for so long and it was because it was, and because it was so underwhelming. And there's this huge investment in this 2020 class be, or 2021 class being some special draft class. And I think that that's not really the case. Like Cade is going to be a very good number one. And then there are a few guys who I still think conceivably could be good high lottery picks, but it's, it's a good class. Like I think it's a good class, not an amazing one. And this, this like idea that there are 12 guys this year who would have gone number one last year is crazy. Like I, I kind of think there are like two, um, there aren't that many, uh, and, and especially in that like mid, mid to late lotto range, I, I think this act, draft actually kind of does get a little rough. Um, so there's this huge investment in, in this draft being special and having all these star talents. And I think you very much see that with Jalen Johnson with the reaction to his first game. Uh, you see it with Mobley, although maybe in his case, it's a little more justified. Um, and you very much see it with, with Jalen Suggs uh, that, you know, people really want him to be a superstar prospect. Uh, and he's very good. Jalen Suggs is very good. That Kansas game was magnificent. I, we talked about it last time, but I, I watched it again. It was really, really incredible. Just complete mastery of court mapping and anticipation and understanding of pace and angles. It, he's brilliant. He is just so, so smart. On the other hand, He's still getting at this point, like half of his offense in transition, um, which is not a knock against him necessarily. It's not in and of itself indicative that he can't do things. Um, Like they, he got hurt in the West Virginia game and they easily handled Auburn. Um, He, like they haven't been challenged and they're probably not going to be challenged that much. Um, But if you're not going to see him then challenged, in a half court setting, if you're not going to then see, um, you know, him have to deal with pressure, you, you do have to look elsewhere to get the answer to those questions because that's what that he's going to be asked to deal with those things in the NBA. I think undoubtedly, if, if you're expecting him to be a lead guard. And so that, if that means going back to the Minnehaha sample, going back to the, um, uh, was it D1 Minnesota? No, it was grassroots. Grassroots. Yeah. Um, going back to the grassroots sample, going back to the FIBA sample. And there you see a guy who had like uniquely bad ball control for a guard who that was a very serious concern for 
who we, we still, we had those finishing concerns that even though he's very crafty, very capable of making difficult finishes, that he only gets difficult finishes and that he doesn't really have the length to be a crazy extension finisher. Um, and that he is exclusively a two foot leaper. And so I think that Gonzaga is an amazing situation. That team is incredible. I want to watch every single second that they play. It's a gorgeous offense. It's so fun. But these are questions that are not going to be answered. And I, I think that it, it's just going to be a tough evaluation. It's going to be a very tough evaluation because I don't know what level of half-court creator Jalen Suggs can be. Um, that Kansas game, if we see more of what that looked like, that it, the handle didn't really matter and that he had just such a mastery of pacing and anticipation that he was able to create somewhat in the half court. And even then he was still very reliant on early offense and transition. If we see more of that, then I'll be inclined to think that he really can be that top three level of prospect. But as of right now, I at the very least need to see a lot more. Yeah. I mentioned this. Oh, Jackson, you can go. So I I had him, I think a good bit higher than the both of you coming in. I think I had him sixth in my my second tier. Um, But I definitely agree with Max on the sentiment that, People are definitely rushing too quickly to anoint him as, as a prospect. I, as I said previously on this, on this podcast earlier, I, I think it's too early to make any significant changes. Um, still feel good about where I have him, but the, the, the things I will say, I am more optimistic than to Max and, and I don't know how Ben feels exactly, but I don't think his handle is as catastrophically bad as necessarily Max said. I think it made improvements throughout his season at Minnehana. I think he's actually pretty good East-West as a dribbler, kind of similar to Anthony Edwards in that way. Uh, we saw him have that gorgeous in and out against Auburn and gets the rim. Um, he had a really nice hesitation against uh, West Virginia. He got blocked at the rim, but um, he had a nice little hesitation. I think maybe a crossover or something in that game too. Um, so I do think he does enough there that if the shooting, the pull-up shooting reaches a level that it, it might or it could, um, you're going to have a lot less worries about his half-court scoring. Um, and, and to that extent, we haven't really seen him do anything off the dribble since that first game as a, as a shooter. Um, so I, I am still want to monitor how much he shoots because I don't think he's going to have to. As Max said, he can kind of do whatever he needs to um, as he prefers in this Gonzaga offense, this dominant offensive setting. Um, but I am a, a, a fair bit higher on his, his handle. Um, definitely still has some concerns about his, his, the size of his hands and how he can finish there. Because he does, he does miss some chippies. You've even seen it this year at the rim. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely higher on, on that part of it. And I do think his passing is manipulative enough and accurate and and um, crafty enough that he can have some pretty significant half-court creation. Um, so that's kind of where I stand. I, like I said, I'm not going to vault him to the second or third or anything like that yet. Um, but I do think he has more half, half-court creation ability than, than maybe um, we've seen consistently. But I think we've seen enough flashes that you can have some pretty, pretty sizable confidence in it, especially if we're talking about a draft class where there are far less primary handlers than we – thought four weeks ago or six weeks ago or even a week and a half ago when this this civilized season began i'm still worried about the finishing um and and that projection there he's been very good at the rim in terms of numbers this year i think a lot of that is driven by his his utilization in early offense and in the half court i think his advantage generation has looked pretty good he looks more explosive than i thought he would at the college sample but even when he gets to the rim and when he's able to get to the rim in the half court using burst or whatever other tool almost all of his finishes are still very difficult he doesn't get 
easy layups. And I think this Max especially has pointed out plenty on this podcast how his lack of uh, vertical explosiveness in traffic, especially off of one foot, and his lack of length that are going to hinder his finishing. And they kind of haven't at this point, but I still do think those are salient concerns for his translation going forward. Um, I haven't seen the Auburn game. I, I am behind. Um, in the Kansas game, that was extremely evident that all of his finishers were incredibly difficult. In the West Virginia game as well, I think there were you know at least a couple of plays where uh, Deuce McBride would, would stick with him pretty good and, and he'd be able to finish through or over or around him using his absurdly elite touch and, and body control and ability to stave off contact in midair and, and finish on balance. All of that is really high level, but I don't think that's just sustainable as a high level generator of offense at the NBA level. But I do think, you know, at in a macro sense, there is an avenue for him to be a half-court creator. Um, and I would understand ranking him pretty high in this class, um, you know, anywhere behind Cade, obviously not in front of Cade, um, because I do think he can be a very good secondary if the shooting is real, which I think it definitely could be at this point. Um, as someone who, you know, in a more motion-heavy offense can get those advantages he needed generated for him to take advantage of his his savant level passing and and the tough finishing and the shooting and we haven't even mentioned the fact that he is just an incredible defender as well um that same manipulation and and just preternatural court sense and awareness translates the same to defense where he's manipulating offenses and making plays and looks great at the point of attack um so yeah i mean jalen suggs i mean is a really really good prospect beyond um just his flaws and people being a little overzealous about his projection, but he is still a very good prospect. Um, and I think, um, you know, Gonzaga is a pretty decent proxy for like a good NBA offense um, in terms of, I think talent level relative to competition and, and scheme. So I think there is some, some, um, some avenues there for him to be used similarly, but the concerns, you know, I, I'm probably, I'm also on the lower end on his handle are, are real, I think. So. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I, you can go ahead, Jackson. Yeah, he, he's an interesting spot because it's so early. He's, you know, obviously we've, we've all mentioned his team context is phenomenal, but at the same time, he's played three power, like high major teams. Whereas, you know, look, look at someone like Evan Mobley who just played his first high major team. Um, his team context is way worse. Um, I think Mobley's a better prospect. I'm not trying to insinuate anything otherwise. Um, but I, I, I am curious to see kind of how everything shakes out in two months where conference play has begun and, and, you know, we've seen all these different pro- these high-level prospects play very good teams um, where, you know, like I mentioned with Suggs, his, his caliber of opponent is going to level off a lot while his team context will remain great. So it's a really tough, like, like we've mentioned, it's really tough to make any significant decisions yet with your board or movements because um, the contexts are so different. They remain that way. That's kind of the, the difficulty and the fun of scouting is contexts are so different. But um, I especially think this early, you know, kind of how you weigh – bad team context, easy opponent versus good team context, hard opponent um, is really interesting how you kind of weigh all that together. Yeah, I'm still open to Suggs actually. Like, I feel like I'm more open to him having primary creation equity on account of, like Jackson mentioned, if, if pull-up shooting is at a really high level and if just the the really next level intelligence and manipulation is that much ahead of everyone else that he can just toy with everyone uh which i think is possible um so i i guess i'm more open to that than than ben even is um i would take issue with the idea that like this gonzaga context is representative um their talent level relative to competition is not representative um like no lead guard is going to be put in a position where he can get 
40 to 50% of his offense in transition and doesn't have a heavy half court on ball load. Like that's not really something you get to see in the NBA. Um, I, so I, I think it's, I think it's relative to competition, just like a much better context than he'll ever be put in, in the NBA. Um, but yeah, I, I, things, things to monitor with Suggs, how much success does he continue to have uh, as a half court creator? I'm, I'm curious about the foul drawing. Cause that would kind of be a way to, to mitigate, um, finishing concerns and I think he's shown some facility to like put his body in places where he literally cannot be contested without being fouled um and so that's either going to result in it in a pretty good shot attempt or in being fouled uh so I want to monitor how that develops uh but yeah it's just just seeing what he continues to do in the half court how much he's able to generate offense on the strength of just being so much smarter than everyone else and having such a better understanding of timing and pace because uh, I think it's possible. It's just I need to see a couple more of that Kansas game and, and not the Auburn game where, where all of his offense is, is in transition. He's, he's still a very good player, but, uh, you know, for projecting forward, that's not really indicative of what you want to see out of a top two or three pick. Yeah, I would, I would note that I think the offense, the Gonzaga setting, is, is a good example or a reflection of how he would thrive schematically, obviously not the caliber of talent relative to a competition level, but I think – you know, allow, in a team that allows him to push a lot, in a team that can get him in these side pick and rolls, these spread pick and rolls, or even forcing switches and kind of torching mismatches um, is kind of what, uh, maybe what Ben was getting at and at least what I was alluding to um, there. But definitely, yeah, not, I mean, the, the talent level. I mean, he might have he might have two all, first-team All-Americans and a potential National Player of the Year or something like that um, next to him. Unless, I mean, if Luka Garza doesn't slow down, then no one's going to catch him for that award. But still, the, the idea that I think, you know, schematically there might be some good indicators there but definitely not caliber of teammates or relative to opponents at all yeah I just think it's it's hard to in the NBA even find guys who relative to competition can do the things that Drew Timmy can do as a scorer and a facilitator uh, and just like having having versatility in ways that he can get his offense and having a shooting weapon like Corey Kispert um, I think that it's tough to find those guys in the NBA that would actually enable you to play like this with Jalen Suggs. Um, because while those guys can do it at an incredibly high level in college uh, and Kispert can, can maybe replicate some of that in the NBA. Um, those, those guys certainly can't do that to the extent that they do in the NBA. And there, there aren't necessarily that many guys who, who are like the Drew Timmy of, of the NBA. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. I think more just like, I think Suggs can do some stuff with like a side pick and roll. Like there's a play against Kansas where they were like a little handoff and it flowed into a side pick and roll. And, and Suggs had the, you know, Suggs was able to switch stuff like that or spread pick and roll or transition to offense. So definitely, I definitely see that. But again, it's just, just kind of maybe the certain actions that Suggs could run and thrive in the half court, um, which are tough to extend. Obviously this is all about kind of an optimized version of him, but I, I definitely see what you're saying. I definitely, but I, at the same time, I think there are reasons and, you know, for validity and confidence and, him being able to handle that sort of role. Yeah. I mean, nonetheless, he's, he's awesome. He's been super fun he's to really watch. Good. I mean, yeah. Yeah. He, um, yeah, it, I think that he could be a telling example or a telling like case for really next level intelligence because I know, like Ben and I, when we were first doing 2021 stuff, we're so into Suggs and then got scared off by, by the prospect of, of his half court creation ability, especially with, with his handle and with his, with the finishing concerns. Um, and, and it's, it, you know, you have to actually be that next level 
manipulator of defenses. You have to be at that truly special level of intelligence. But if you're actually there, then you're, you're kind of rule of thumb breaking that you yeah. don't, if you're actually that level of manipulator, you don't need the crazy handle. And, and, and Jackson's right that he is, he has made improvements with the handle like that, that hezy in and out that he hit against Auburn uh, is not something that he was doing at, at Minnehaha. Like you, you weren't seeing that. Um, so like he's definitely made improvements there and maybe he's, maybe it's just not that much of a problem anymore. I, I would doubt that. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's definitely an interesting case and, and for sure indicates that you have, you have, you very much have to evaluate people on an individual basis because if you're Jalen Suggs and you're complete, just mastery of, of, you know, the intellectual aspects of, of the game are so above everyone else that it really might not matter if, if you, you can't dribble that well. Yeah, it's just a good example of, you know, potentially high-level players and prospects um, win in unique ways um, that, you know, we kind of can't put, in a bo- put into a box or project or um, just the blanket concern that he won't be able to create in the half court because of his handle when he has, you know, avenues to create with man- the manipulation and, and anticipation and, and floor reading that nobody else can do, um, you know, relative to his shooting and explosiveness, uh, which are baseline good enough to you know be nba level um yeah and just important to think creatively about how prospects um can and will improve and and can and will function um in the nba despite you know de- deficiencies that we i think is normally categorized as more damning than they are in situations like that for sucks yeah i mean mo- most guys who ex- who succeed at a ridiculous level do it in a relatively novel way yeah um or in a somewhat novel way. Uh, and yeah, I think, I think if Suggs does end up being a t- uh, the second or third best prospect in this class, he's not going to be the best prospect. It's not going to happen. Uh, but if he does end up being the second or third best prospect in this class, it will be in a relatively unique way that is that next level understand anticipation and pacing and timing. It, it'll just, that, that'll be, that'll be it. It won't be. And and the shooting, the shooting will be crucial to that as well. Like he, I think he does need to be a pretty special shooter, but he, he won't be, be. I mean, yeah, and he could be. He, he won't be a top two or three pick because he is stylistically similar to Damian Lillard. He will be Jalen Suggs. It'll be a distinct thing. Yeah. All right, so I huh. think we're going to cut part one here, yeah? Yep. Yeah, again, thank you so much to Jackson for coming on and enlightening us and sharing his knowledge uh, with us. You can follow him on Twitter at Jack Frank underscore JJF. Is there anything you'd like to plug Jackson? Um, one, I would say if, if you haven't been started his own Patreon this week, and I would definitely recommend people checking that out. Um, I've got a Patreon as well too, where I've tried to kind of re up my NBA draft content. Um, that's linked in my, my Twitter bio um, to check both of those out. Um, I've got, got stuff going on all over different places, mostly dime up rocks nowadays, but I'll be churning out content about the draft on, on my Twitter account as Ben shouted out and then a litany of, of places um, in the written in the written word. So um, thanks for having me on guys. And this was, this was fun to talk some hoops. Yeah. Uh, make sure to go follow Jackson and his work. He is truly one of the best and we're grateful that he came on uh, and talked basketball with us. As always, you can follow the pod at prep number two pro pod on Twitter. You can follow Max at Max A. Carlin. You can follow me at Ben underscore Pfeiffer underscore. And with that, we will see you all in the next part.